Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com. Pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, happy Mother's Day. Moms are amazing, aren't they? Guys, I want to just start off today by thanking you. I know uh, many of you know what's going on. It's been a very difficult week uh, for my family, but um, my grandmother went home to be with the Lord on Wednesday, and uh, I just want to ask you to continue with your uh, uh, encouragement and your prayers for my, for my father and for our entire family. We thank you for your support. We really do feel uh, the love and the support right now, but I want you to know today is not a day of mourning. Today is the day where we're celebrating how awesome of a woman she was and the wonderful mother that she was and grandmother. Because... Moms are amazing, and, and we wish we could give an award to every mom in this room. It's sad that we could only do it for four, but uh, in fact, I want you to just encourage a mom to sit next to you. Find a mom, give them a high five, and tell them, you're amazing. You're amazing. I want to take a look at a scripture today. I believe God wants to encourage every one of us in this room. It's found in John chapter 2. And in John 2, starting in verse 1, it says this, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman! Why do you involve me? Jesus replied. Might I not recommend, if you are not God incarnate, do not call your mother woman. It will not go well with you. I tried that once. I, I still walk with a limp. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now this is classic mom style. She just ignores what he says. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. (laughs) Classic mom. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind that the Jews used for ceremonial washing, each of them holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Um, So they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew out the the water knew. Then he called to the, the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then... Uh, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. Somebody say the best wine. The best wine. Now let's look at verse 11 and we'll finish our reading for today. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. So this is the first instance in which Jesus reveals his glory and his disciples believed 
in him. Today I want to speak to you from the subject, why the wine? Why the wine? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for meeting with us in this room. We thank you for your love and your favor. And we pray today that as we open your word, we would see Jesus. God, we know that if we see Jesus, our lives will be changed. So help us to understand you more, to know you more, that we would leave here after having encountered you and being changed by you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In honor of the fact that it's Mother's Day, I want to ask you how many people in here enjoy chick flicks? Anyone? Any moms enjoy chick flicks? Any guys? Any brave souls to put your hand up? Whoa. Wow. Congratulations. I'll tell you what. I, I do not enjoy chick flicks, and I've had to see a lot of them over the years, having a mother, having a sister, having now a, a beautiful wife and, and two teenage daughters. I have, I have seen a lot of chick flicks, but I'll tell you what, I'll sit down and I'll watch the chick flicks with my wife because I figure if I'm watching the chick flicks, she's probably looking at me thinking I'm getting sexier every moment that I'm watching, so I, like, I try, you know? But I got to give her props. Like, she doesn't just like chick flicks. She will watch a war scene with me, a great war movie, but then we will watch one of her shows. And, and some of them I've seen so many times. In fact, her favorite um, chick flick is a movie I've seen so many times, a movie about a wedding, a movie called Pride and Prejudice. Any fans in here of Pride and Prejudice? It's a great movie about a wedding, and I know, men, stick with me. I know I'm losing you here. The women are like, yes, yes, I got it, Pride and Prejudice, but stick with me here. It's a great movie about a wedding, but I, you can only see it so many times as a guy before it's like, that, that's all I can take. So what I do now, this drives her nuts. Guys, you've got to try this. I, I picked out the very mo most most popular line, the most famous line in the whole movie, and I will just come through, and at random times while she's watching the movie, because I won't sit there and watch it with her anymore. I, I will come through and I will just rehearse my, in, my, in my best tone. I, I, I will say, you, you have bewitched me, body and soul. And I love, I love, I love you. And she normally throws a shoe at me and screams at me to get out of the room. But like she's like... Don't ruin the movie, she says, because it's such a beautiful movie about a wedding, and, and I love weddings. See, I, I think it's so great that we see Jesus here goes to weddings. Think about this. This is God incarnate. Jesus, fully God and fully man. God incarnate. If there's ever been a man on a mission before, if there's ever been a man who, who was busy, who had something to do, who had some place to go, some people to see, it was Jesus, but they send Jesus an invitation and he, to a wedding. He says, okay, I'll go. And not only does Jesus go, he says, I'm going to bring my boys with me. I'm just going to hang out. Now, first off, we've got to put this in context. Weddings then were a lot different than they are now. Like, just last year, I did a wedding, I kid you not, the entire ceremony from the beginning to the end was less than 15 minutes long. 15 minutes. There's applause here. Like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. I mean, I showed up, I'm like, okay, I'm here to serve, what do you want me to do? And like, just keep it short, Pastor. I'm like, okay, whatever. Apparently they had something else on their mind. So I'm like, okay, we'll <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do this ceremony and we'll move on. Fifteen minutes, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But, but we go back 2,000 years into Jewish culture and we see that it was a much different story. 
Weddings, the average wedding would last three to five days where people would come in and, and would actually live with you and you would host them and take care of them. That, that's the average. That was the ordinary Joe, people like you and me. But, but there were wealthy people, and the wealthy people, their weddings wouldn't last a couple of days. It would be several weeks, one week, two weeks, three weeks long for a wedding. And, and we see that, that Jesus here, the man on the mission, he's fully God. He's got something. He's, an invitation shows up in the mail. He says, yeah, I'll be there. I'll go, I'll just go hang out. It makes me think, man, I think a lot of us, we take ourselves way too seriously. We take ourselves way too seriously. I'm too busy for that. I don't got enough time to go have fun. I I mean, there's so much going on. Our God that we serve apparently had enough time to just sit back and say, you know what, I'm okay with just being and just hanging out with the boys and laughing at myself. I think a lot of us, we we need to learn to laugh at ourselves a little bit more and have a little bit more enjoyment in life and say, you know what, it's time to just sit back and celebrate and enjoy right now. And that's what we see is taking place right now now in this story that Jesus is at the wedding and, and he's there hanging out and Mary seems particularly invested in this couple. She's so invested in this couple that she actually recognizes when this couple runs out of wine. Now we don't know how long of a wedding this has been. We don't, we don't get a true idea from that from the text but we do know in culture we know that this is going to be a minimum of three to five days. This is a big event and she is so invested in the culture she, she recognizes what, they've run out of wine. Now again for a Jewish wedding in this, in this setting, this culture, she knew that this was a big deal because in, in this time you needed three things for a wedding. You needed a bride you needed a groom, and you needed wine. Without one of those three things, there was no point of having a wedding. Right? This is the way they looked at it. In fact, we see that this was, this was a big deal. This was a big deal to Mary where she came forward. She's like, you, you got to understand, Jesus, that they're running out of wine. Because, see, wine was a status symbol. And, and not only was it just a status symbol for the family, it was also an honor to the guest. Because it was the groom's responsibility that he would make all of the calculations and he would make all of the preparations. He would do all the math and figure it all out so that he would have everything in place so that when his guests arrived for the wedding, they would be taken care of. So it was his job to make sure that everyone that came in for the wedding would have a place to stay. And that they had lodging, they had food, and then most importantly, that they had wine. And we would see in culture that what they would do is, what this would mean is if you were going to have a wedding that would last like one week or two weeks, it would literally take you like one or two years in order to be able to save up enough in order to be able to have the resources needed, the preparation in place so that you could host everyone that was showing up. So no doubt this man, he would have appealed to his parents and said, oh, okay, mom, dad, I really love this girl, and I, we want to throw a big rager here. It's going to be awesome, so we need, like, I, could you help me find work? I need to borrow money from you because, like, en- enough wine for all of our guests and lodging for our guests. we got to have everything in place so that they're here because it, the, the idea of if I were to invite you to leave your work and your responsibilities from your home, and you come and you show up here, and I haven't even made the proper preparations for you, it'd be a slap in the face. It'd be dishonoring. In fact, what it would do is it would, it would bring disgrace among the fam- family. It would bring shame 
among the family's name that I would take time out of my life to come and you wouldn't even have enough for me. So no doubt this man, he, he had the calculations and the preparations and he borrowed money and, and the wine was not cheap. He borrowed, it was, so he had everything in place and then we find out here that when Mary... And we see why she's distressed now because Mary comes to Jesus and she's saying, evidently she cares a lot for this family because she's saying, she knows because that they have run out of wine, shame is about to fall on this family. Disgrace is about to fall on this man and his wife and all uh, of their relatives. So she comes urgently to Jesus. She, she's, she's freaking out a little bit, she, and she knows Jesus has the power to do something about this situation. So she comes to him, and Jesus' mother said to him, verse 3, says, They have no more wine. See, Mary had no idea what she was actually saying here. She had no idea the prophetic undertones of what just came out of her mouth because when she said they had no more wine, she, this was actually typical for the entire nation of Israel. That the Spirit of God had been removed from Israel. That His grace had been removed. His presence had been removed. The mercy and the love had, had, had gone away from Israel. So they had literally run out of spiritual wine. The life of the party had gone out in the nation of Israel. And we see that Jesus had come to restore the wine of Israel, if you will. So she's, she's pleading with him on one level, on a, on a physical level, something that's taking place in the natural, and yet she's saying something about a, a group of people that are so far from God, and, and she's going to Jesus, the only one who can bring the presence, the only one who can bring the spirit back, the only one who can bring favor and love back. She's, she's coming to him, she's saying, Jesus, you can do something about this. Now, this is what's so puzzling to me, Right? Because if she knows that about Jesus and she, she comes to Jesus and says, he's the answer. They have no wine. Then Jesus' response is puzzling to me. It's puzzling to me because that, that, she's focusing on wine. She's, she's focusing on, uh, on shame and, and disgrace and the fact that there's going to be a lack of honor here. And, and she's saying they have no wine in his response. Woman, why do you involve me? It, that's puzzling. It makes you think. Because if we look forward in the story, we, we just read it, we know Jesus is about to do something on their behalf. So why, why would he respond that way? He's trying to communicate something to her. He's trying to communicate that what I'm about to do, I'm not, I'm not doing it because you're twisting my arm. I'm not doing it because this is something you want me to do. He's saying, woman, I am God. And I, I already have a character and a nature of love and provision. And I want to take care of people. I already have plans for them. And I want to do good things for them. So I, I'm going to do good for them. Not because you're trying to twist my arm. Not because you're trying to manipulate. But I'm going to do good for them because it's already in my character to do so. I already have plans to do so. Let me say something about prayer. When you're praying and you're asking God for things, you're not manipulating God. It's already in God's nature. It's already in his character to do for you, to bless you, to take care of you. See, our God is a good God. He's a provider. He's a deliverer. He frees you from sins. He, he, he heals you. He strengthens you. He, he's such a great God. Aren't you thankful that our God loves us so much? So he's saying, I, I'm God and I, I'm going to bless them because I've already predestined that I want to I, I want to help these people. I want to work on their behalf. So she turns around. She says, 
Whatever he tells you to do, just do it, right? Church, I got to tell you, I, I am theologically persuaded that God wants to do more for you than you're even currently asking him for. That do you realize how much your God loves you? That contrary to many people's beliefs and, and what so many people think, our God, he is crazy about you. Crazy about you. The Bible says, if you didn't know how to give good gifts, don't you know your heavenly Father will give so much more to, to those who ask him? That, that he gives you exceedingly, abundantly more than you can ask or even imagine. Like the things you could imagine asking God for, you're not even coming close to what he wants to do for you. That he is an endless supply. One, one Bible verse says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, since we're not farmers, we can put that in our modern vernacular here, and, and you could say it like this. Our God owns the Cadillacs on a thousand lots, right? He has an endless supply of Escalades. <laughs> and he wants to do for you. See, our, our God has an endless supply, and, and he wants to provide for you. He wants to, to give to you. He wants to do so much for you. And maybe we're not even asking things of him because we think it's, not, it's just not even important. But, but no, he, he cares so much for you. God wants to bless you. Mary is so concerned because she doesn't want shame to fall on this groom and this bride. See here, we can learn a lot from this story because we see here that this story is centered around the bridegroom, and the bridegroom goes unnamed. Anytime you see in Scripture that a person is mentioned and centered but, but going unnamed, the reason they're unnamed is because you and I can just fill in the blank there and put our own names there. This is a story about you and I. This is something that, that has implications in our lives today because our lives can reflect this bridegroom because we make all of our calculations and we make all of our preparations and, and we spend all of our time meditating and trying to figure out and plan and, and produce so that we can have everything in place so that we can be successful in different areas of our life. And I've got all my plans and my calculations in place and I'm preparing so that I'm going to be able to be successful in school. And I've got everything in place because I'm preparing. I want to be successful in my marriage. And, and I've got all these things in place because I want to be successful in my health and successful in parenting. And, and we plan and, and, and we dot all of our I's and cross all of our T's and we try to get everything in place because I want to be successful. So now I'm on my diet plan and i got my budget and my spreadsheets going on and I, I've got all this stuff in place because I want to be successful, but I'm here to tell you that with all of your plans and all of your preparations, with all of this stuff that you plan out, it still will not be enough. That as much as you try to dot all your I's and cross all of your T's, there's still going to be some point in your life where you look around and you say, I am in over my head. I don't have what it takes. I don't have enough to get through this situation. I planned it, but I didn't see that this was coming. I didn't see that I'd feel this empty. I didn't see I'd be hurting this much. I never saw that she was going to leave me. I didn't find myself in this scenario when I was planning everything out. And here I am going, God, I don't have enough. I wonder how long did this bridegroom prepare for years, he, he was putting things in place and he was making his preparations, but still on the day that was so important to him, he did not have enough. But I'm here to tell you that no eye has seen nor ear has heard 
the good things that God wants to do for you, brother and sister. That in all of our preparations where they fall short, we, we see that we have a Savior who's still in the same room with us. We have a Savior who's still here in our very presence. Aren't you thankful that our God is, is still with us, that he's not left us alone? Because left to our own devices, we find ourselves like the bridegroom. Like I, I tried everything. I planned everything. I took these classes. I did all this, and it, it still is not enough. He had everything in order, but when the most important day of his life came, he found himself lacking. You ever feel like you're lacking? Like you don't have enough? I know I do. I know I do. You, you ever feel like, like, like you need more wisdom, you just don't have it? Like your kids are asking you questions and you're just scratching your head going, I, I don't know how to answer these questions. Like you need more wisdom at work and I, I, I don't know what to do. You, you don't have enough energy. You get home at the end of the day and your kids want you to crawl around on the floor with them. But all you can think to do is just crawl back into bed. Like, I, 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 I just don't have enough. I'm lacking. I can tell you there are times I feel this way. Even this week I felt this way. I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor. Professionally, I, I go and minister to people who are mourning. And... With all the funeral services I've done, all the memorial services, all the time I've sat with people in hospice and, and stuff like that, now I found myself going, okay, um, my family is hurting and they're looking at me and asking me questions. I don't have it, God. You ever feel lacking? You're like, as much as I'm trying, like, I, I, I want to be successful and I've prepared, but it's just not enough. God, I've done everything I know how to do. But it's still not enough. I think that every one of us in this room at some point have gotten to the end of ourselves. We start to recognize as much as I try, as much as I plan, as much as I prepare, still it's not enough. So then we jump forward in the story here. And Jesus said to the servants, there's six water jars here. And he says, I want you to fill the jars. And a side note, I love that, that the number six is pointed out here. Because we see in scripture, every time the number six is pointed out and identified to us, six is the number of man. So God is showing us something here. He's saying, I, I can take what is human. I can take what is mortal and finite. And I can do something miraculous with it if you just let me put my hands on it. Let me get involved in it. So he can take an ordinary man and an ordinary woman. He can take take men and women like you and I, and, and he can take our ordinary lives and fill us with new wine if we just allow him to. He's saying, I want you to take the jars and I want you to start filling them with water. Now, I feel bad for the servants because these servants, the Bible doesn't tell us when the water actually turns into wine, and, the, and these guys, they're just hired hands. They're just working there. They're supposed to be, be making sure that everything's going good, so they're supposed to go to their boss, the master of the banquets, the MC, and they're supposed to like hand him the water and, and be like, I, I'm going to lose my job over this, right? Like, oh, God, help. Right? I, need, I, I need some help here, and they're, they're going to the master of the ceremony, and that was his job. This, this guy, he was a hired hand. He did this professional. He would go from festivals and weddings and parties, and he was hired by the family to make sure that the party was hopping. And like, it was his job to keep it going. For days and weeks on end, he would go around and he'd check on people. How are you doing? You need anything? Let's get you some shade. You want a cold drink? You need some more wine? Like, you look like you're sad over there. One of his main responsibilities is to make sure that everyone was supplied with wine so that there were no long faces at this wedding. And he 
didn't know that his party was about to run out. And here these servants are bringing the, the, the water to, to the master of the ceremonies because it's what Jesus told them to do. Now let me just stop for a second and, and consider this with me for some. Stop for a second and consider something. Now if I'm Jesus, and I know that's a terrifying thought, but <laughs> if I'm Jesus or if you're Jesus, okay, the first time I'm going to manifest my glory the first time I'm going to manifest my weight, the first time I'm going to manifest that I am God is not going to be around drinks at a party. Okay, if I'm Jesus and I'm going to show my weight, my glory, my doxer, I'm going to make sure that it's not around refreshments at a wedding. Like, come on, Jesus. Like, seriously, you could have done so many things. You pick, you pick wine at a wedding. It makes me ask, why the wine? Right, Jesus? Why the wine? Of all the things you could have done, really, Jesus, why the wine? But this tells me something about Jesus that's incredible, and it's, it's incredibly exciting. It tells me this, that he cares so much even about the smallest and most intimate details of your life. That Jesus cares so much about the things that, that you think are too unimportant to even pray about. The things that I can't pray about, I can't pray for a parking space. I can't pray for, a, you know, God's going to think that's ridiculous. I can't pray that I'm going to get a, a good grade in this class. Yeah, like, I, I can't pray for that. That seems so ridiculous, but it should minister to you when we recognize that our God who loves us so much took the first moment on earth to reveal his glory, to be adjusting drinks at a wedding. It should minister to you how much he cares about even the smallest details of your life. Because then we ask God questions like, God, do you even care about my job? Are you, are you going to help me in my marriage? God, my kids are wigging out. Do you even care, God? Like, I'm hurting right now. Do you even care? I, I feel like I'm just stuck in this sin and this addiction. I feel like I'm in bondage in my own basement. Do you even care? And there are people, you're in this room today, and that's, that's, that's crying out from your heart right now where you're asking, God, do you even care and our God chooses we ask the question why the wine he chooses to adjust drinks at a party because God cares so much about the intimate details in your life he he cares about your pain he sees what you're going through he cares so much even about the things that you haven't cared enough to bring to him he cares for you so here are these servants they're they're coming to the master of the ceremonies, and you can think they're just shaking, like, I'm going to lose my job over this, I'm going to lose my job. And they, they hand the water to the master of ceremonies, and somehow it, it, Jesus' miracle, it becomes wine, and he drinks and goes, wow, this, this is amazing. Now, what's incredible about this is the bride and the, the groom did not even know that this took place. They're oblivious to it. They had no idea that shame was mounting and disgrace was building up. It was mounting on their family's name. They had no idea that any of this was taking place. And man, I just love that about our God. I love that, that so many of us in this room, we don't even know the shame and the disgrace that is mounting against us and mounting against our families, but we don't know because God's in the backdrop and he's working things out for you that you didn't even know he was working out for you because he loves you that much. 
and you, you're considering all these other things, like i got to dot my I's and cross my T's, and you don't even know how short you're going to come up on your own and by your own strength. But he's saying, I got you. I care for you, and I love you. And if I'm in this situation, I'm not going to let you be disgraced. I'm going I'm to bless you. I care for you. Wow, this is amazing. This MC, he's like, that. that this is crazy. I've got to say something about this. In all my years of, of, of throwing these parties and stuff like that, this is not the way it works. It says, he says, every man, and that's in the Bible, it's so clear. Every man does it differently than this. Every man, the Bible says, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Everyone, every one of us, it's our human condition, it's our issue with this, this attitude of lack that we think there's not enough good to go around. I don't have enough of the good stuff. I mean, it's not an endless supply of the good stuff, so i got to ration it out. i got to be careful how I use it. I can't, I can't just give it all out right now. I can't cook all of my best meals in the first month of marriage, right? I, I can't bring all of my best ideas to the first week at my new job i got to bring some of the good, but then I'm going to run out of it. So what I need to do is, like, I'm going to give you a little bit of good, and then I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of some other stuff, some more inferior stuff, because I, there's not enough to go around. Can I tell you, I've struggled with this sometimes. I struggled with this when I became the senior pastor of this church. I, my whole life, I, I, I prayed that God would use me and move me uh, into the position he wanted me, and I became the senior pastor of this church, and I, I started realizing, wait a minute, like, if, if God willing, I'm going to spend the next 30 years of my life being a senior pastor here, I started thinking ahead and started doing the math and go, wait a minute, there's 52 weeks in a year, and that's 30, 30 years of 52 weeks a year, me getting up here having to have something to say, it's like, Oh my gosh, I don't have that many stories, right? Like, there, there are times I come up here and it's like, I have never prayed so hard. I've never prepared so much. And I get up here and I'm like, oh God, help, right? And this is just my context of where I was coming from. But I was, I'm saying it's like the lack mentality I was dealing with. I'm going, like, I don't have enough to, I can't throw all my best sermons out there in the first month, you know, like, I'm going to run out. This is not an endless supply. I've got, to, I, I've got to hold on to some of the good, so maybe I throw out a little good and then hold a little back and then throw out a little good and hold a little back. And, and the MC said, this is the way it is with every man. There's not enough good to go around. I can't give the best of who I am today to my family and still expect to do the same tomorrow with that lack of mentality. And the MC said, this is the way it is with everyone. But I'm here to tell you, brother and sister, you're not to live like every man. That a child of God is not to live like every man who has a shortened supply. A child of God who is under and a God with a limitless supply, we don't live like every man. We, don't, we, we can't look at our day and say, okay, then, then what I'm going to do is just give a little bit and then, and then I'll give some of the inferior. I'll give a little bit of the good. I'm going to give some of my energy to my kids today and then I'm going to pull back some and I'm, I'm going to give some of my best at work maybe next month a little bit, but I'm going to save up now. It's like we can't live like that. That's the way the world lives. And I'm telling you as a child of God, we tap into something different. And I'll, I'll show you what was started to minister to me as I was wrestling with the fact that like I, I realized I don't have enough. 
I feel lacking. Do you know what this text teaches you and I that feel lacking? And I know your context is going to be different than my context. So I'm just trying to share with you how I've, how I've struggled. But, but in whatever area of your life you feel like you don't have enough, this text shows us something so powerful. It shows us that if we just bring our best today, God will better your best for tomorrow. Bring your best today, and God will better your best for tomorrow. We can't live like the world where we say, I've got to save this for someday. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 that um, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. He's saying, I've given you what you need for today, so don't hold on to the best for, for tomorrow. You don't even know what you have tomorrow. Take the best of what I've given you. You bring your best today, and I'll give you better for tomorrow. See, what we do is we tap into the fact that, that we have to recognize with all of our preparations and all of our calculations, whatever you and I do by our own strength and our own power will always fall short. But when we recognize that we can lean into a God with an endless supply, lean into Jesus who is our our advocate, our savior, who, who, who is there with us, who is working on our behalf behind the scenes where we didn't even know he's working on our behalf. We, we lean into this and we start to recognize that, that, that it's not my strength I'm tapping into. It's not my ability, not my energy, not my wisdom, it's his. One more verse I wanna read and then we'll pray and go home today. The second Corinthians chapter nine says, and God is able. Man, I love that verse. God is able. Why? Because it doesn't say I'm able. I'm not able. I'm like the bridegroom. The more I prepare, the more I calculate, the more I fall short. The more I don't have what it actually takes when it all comes together. But the emphasis is not on me. The Bible says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Would you stand to your feet with me? I wonder, church, have you ever felt lacking? In fact, with no one looking around, your head's bowed and your eyes closed. Have you ever felt lacking as a mom, as a parent? Ever felt lacking in business, in energy, in health, in wisdom? If that's you, I want to ask you, let's just be humble before our God today and admit that we're not the source He is. Let's put our hands in the air. Let's talk to Him today. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for each and every one of us in this room. I thank you that you're working things out for us that, that, that we don't even know you're working out for us, that you care about us, you care so deeply about us that we can't even imagine what you want to do for us. So God, I pray in this room right now for my brothers and sisters in here, my friends who, who are hurting because we feel like we don't have enough. We thank you that we can now recognize we're not supposed to have enough, we're supposed to lean into the one who does. So Jesus, we pray today, we humbly submit ourselves today, and we pray that we would lean into you and we would keep you as our source and that we would continue to bring our best for today. And God, I ask that you would better our best for tomorrow. Give us our strength. Give us what we need. That God, we wouldn't go through life on our own, but we would go through life tapped into you. We thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 
I love you, church. I love you. Thank you for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, and that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my Savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this, in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer at all, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or by email at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.